Hi, this is John Hartzer, and welcome to episode 31 of Valleys of Numenor. The Foundation has reached its season one finale. The cracks in the Empire have clearly been established, and so has the Foundation. So can this thing actually work? Episode 31, Foundation, episode 10, The Leap. To where? Galspod is off into space going through the fiery sphere around Helicon, and we don't get the opening credits to the show title. Down on Terminus, Harry has emerged from the vault and tells the story of why Anacreon and Thespis are enemies. It goes back to a time when the two were willing to join together in marriage, but the Anacreon bride was murdered on her wedding night, supposedly by the Thespian king, when it was really the emperor's bidding. They now have one ship and the ability to build more. Harry recognizes Mary, but not Salver. He asks about Gal, but is told she's not there. I guess one hologram doesn't know what the other one knows. As for the Invictus, he was able to predict where the ship would show up. It was not jumping in a random pattern. And as it turned out, that bit about not being a revolutionary, they told the Emperor, and that may not precisely be true either. Brothers Day and Dusk are in the clone chamber and are trying to figure out what to do about their wayward clone brother. Dawn is under arrest in his room. His DNA is totally different than Cleon's, and it turns out the young man has known for quite a while. He asks Day if he ever wanted to be anything different than what the plan says he has to be. Back on Terminus, Harry tells the crowd the Foundation isn't some house of knowledge. They are the foundation of a new civilization. And they can do it out of sight of the Empire if they use the Invictus to basically trick them into thinking they're all dead. The kids, of course, are curious and ask him about death. He basically lets them know that the vault isn't just a structure. It is him. But as he turns to leave, Salver wants to know why he's sending her messages. He said, whatever they are, they're not from him. With that, the vault closes. Day now goes to interrogate Azura, but not until they've taken a nice walk in the garden. After telling her why he has to be a cold individual, he tells her everyone she knows and their families are under surveillance, and with a snap of his fingers, see, again, this is what bad guys do these days. All 1,500-plus people will die. She will be locked away and deprived of all senses except consciousness, I know it's officially not a sense, but you, know, you get the point. That's how she's going to spend the rest of her life. Salver and her mother try to process what Harry told him. Mary's upset she bought his spiel for all these years. Salver wants to know who's been sending her those dreams. Out in the desert, Rowan is preparing Farrah for burial. He offers her bow to harden and will bury the huntress in a tree replanted from Anacre. The three peoples start to work together as Harry asked them to, and things are getting better. Hugo is now the captain of the Invictus and travels back and forth from the planet. Further out in the desert that night, we get our hallmark Skinax moment with Salver and Hugo before she leaves for the night. Near the vault, she sees a child jump into the ground like it's a pool. Anyone we know have a relationship with water? Salver goes to her mother, who tells her she's likely to be elected mayor of the new town. She asks about the girl from the water planet, so mom spills the beans. 
that whole thing from episode two or three where the women save their eggs and embryos, well, that comes into play now as she finds out she's really the daughter of Gal and Raish. They were the children she was seeing in her dreams. So she decides she has to go find her and takes the prime device with her. Salver goes to get on the beggar when Hugo meets her. She asks him to go with her, but he realizes this is something she has to do for herself. She then heads off in space. Back on Trantor, Demersal takes Dorn to his meeting with his brothers. Dusk wants to destroy him, but it's up to day. He's not quite the same guy who left Trantor and came back. The old man doesn't want to hear it and starts slapping the day lights out of him. See what I did there? Day pushes back. Dawn runs into Demersal's arms, who decides to end it all by snapping his neck. They'll get a new one ready in the morning. Dusk looks at the birds on the mural and smashes his tray against it. It warps the picture into something completely different. Day brings the body into the ash room and it turns to dust. Then the Shadow Master comes in and lets Day know they have a bigger problem. Dawn's changed DNA was not altered after he was created, but from the source, namely Cleon I. Somehow the rebels have messed up the original, so no clone after it will be perfect. And it wasn't done recently. Day himself is also not perfect. Day starts hammering on the case of the first Cleon until we hear it shatter off screen. Demersal heads to her room and decides she's had enough of her hiding and rips off her skin to reveal her robot skull. Out in space, Gal's ship wakes her up as they near Synax. It enters the atmosphere, the parachutes eventually deploy, and it splashes down into the ocean. She gets onto an inflatable boat, gets her things, and heads out. She reaches the structure that was once her home, but no one's there. Or is there? She looks into the water and sees a red flashing light. She swims down to the submerged spaceship and finds someone in a pod as well. She opens it and pulls the traveler up to the surface. When the person wakes up, we see it's Salver, who has been in cryogenic sleep over a hundred years herself. She pulls out the prime device and goes to hand it to her. We'll have to wait for next season to see her toss it over her shoulder. Oh, oh wait, that's something else. I've watched the episodes twice, and it definitely improves the second time. You're able to concentrate on all the threads they're laying down since you have an idea where they're going. The one thing I see they're stressing is how the individual is at once an important part of the overall plan, yet can screw things up immensely. This lays the groundwork for the one person who almost takes out the foundation down the line. They also really planted the seeds for Demersal to be the overseer Arginal Oliva is in the books. It's pretty clear she was the one who altered the Emperor's gene, since who else could have that kind of access? Now, about the changes made for modern sensibilities, as it were. There are a lot of male-to-female changes here, which is understandable to a point there really weren't any major women characters in the original stories from the 40s, though there were plenty in the 80s and 90s stories. Gal Dornick only appears in the first story and is sort of an empty slate, so this was a perfect character to go ahead and make whatever kind of change you want for long-term storytelling purposes. Pharaoh was an Anacreon leader, so they make it a woman who's a huntress like Artemis Diana. Okay, that works. The one I'm just not sold on is Salver Hart. This is no reflection on Leah Harvey's performance. She's actually very good in the role as written. 
but it seems like they tried to rework the character too much. The salver of the book is a hard-bitten, cigar-smoking tough guy who's also smart as all get up. They make TV salver almost the exact opposite, then throw on Topchi's gal's daughter and a telepath of sorts. It, you know, it's just too much for one character. But now they've committed to it. They're making her mayor and all just like the books. Well, she was going to be until she took the 100-year trip. So she's going to continue to inhabit the key characteristics from the books. Now, Demersal is interesting. Frankly, this is another case of them trying to subvert expectations and changing things 180 degrees from the stories. But as a robot, there's no reason she now couldn't have been he then as Elijah Bailey's partner all those centuries ago. Yes, that might have all kind of real-world commentary attached if done properly. Hopefully, they'll restrain themselves. So on our TV scales, this rates high on the Heart of Dixie scale. Race doesn't come up at all except for the different planets. But that's more of a generic human trait to be curtailed. As we see by the end, it's a lot better to work together than try to kill each other. For the end, just like that scale, I put it at a 3.5 to a 4. It's conspicuous in the number of changes from male to female, and there's not a lot of smart guys here. Even Harry ends up not so bright without the lady's help. And the emperor is brought down by a gardener girl, a priestess, and his female body servant. But generally, it works in the overall thrust of the all-encompassing plot. The next major character to be introduced next season, Holber Mallow, looks to be just like he is in the book. And they can't mess around with the main villain whenever he shows up. Now, as I mentioned, season one just kind of fell into the mass of shows out there in the streaming world. It does take a lot to break out of the group these days. Apple Plus has their breakout shows in Ted Lasso and The Morning Show. One thing that doesn't help these days is the two years between seasons. When The Sopranos did that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that's one thing. But now this is happening on a regular basis. To be fair, we did have that pandemic to screw things up, and now we have a writer's strike that will delay things further. You have to really be dedicated to a show to keep up with it over two years. I happened to find out about the season two debut when I was specifically looking for it. I'd only missed it by a few days, but the fact I missed it says something. You gotta make sure people know. So we'll see where we go next season if we get beyond the framing structures of the first novel. Next time we go back to our look at Tarzan of the movies. We'll pick up in 1943 with a switch from MGM to RKO, then eventually back to MGM, out on their own, then on to TV. I think we could probably get into the 70s. Maybe we'll get into the two biggies from the 80s. We'll see how far we can get. Please hit the subscribe button if you like what you're hearing. I'm John Hartra. Thanks for listening.